Amen. How are you guys? That's all right. It's all right. Um, happy Sunday. Happy post-graduation day. I had the privilege of uh, um, helping celebrate my wife's graduation yesterday. So if you see Shana, give her a pat on the back and uh, everything. Um, my, name's, my name's Eric. I'm the, actually the pastor of musical worship here but have been uh, given the opportunity and entrusted with kind of sharing some thoughts with you guys today. So welcome. I'm glad you're here and excited for what God uh, has for us together. You know, most of the time at E3, uh, we plan kind of what we're going to talk about here, sometimes uh, weeks, sometimes months in advance. A great example of that would be the Revolution series that we started in January. We actually started talking about that particular series uh, a year ago, right about this time. So eight months, we kind of, eight months beforehand, we kind of sat around and said, well, what, do, what do our people need to hear? What do we need to experience? What do we feel like God is kind of pushing our way? And series and, and talks will kind of come out of those. But sometimes, 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 um, it's different. And we've been in a season of difference ever since Easter, um, rolling with the punches of like when Mark is going to Africa, and he's there now, and if you're reading his uh, Facebook um, notes and updates, it's a pretty, a pretty brutal trip he's on. So uh, as a kind of an aside, continue to pray for him, because it is not easy navigating what he's trying to go through, especially by himself. And... Um, just read the story. You'll be blown away. But what that basically has done is kind of like Dan and, and, and Trace and I have kind of been week to week. You know, like, well, who's teaching this week? Is Mark in the country this week? All right, well, who's going to teach? Who's going to do music? And we've just been rolling with the, with the, the, the waves, so to speak. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that our church culture, we do pretty well with that. We just kind of go, well, you know, the, the, it's not the end of the world. We'll just kind of see what happens week to week, and we kind of enter into that. We don't panic, and we just cling to God and kind of listen to what, what's going to happen. And in that time, ever since Easter, I really have sort of noticed um, that even though we've been week to week, some common themes have been starting to rise up in what Dan is sharing and what Mark is sharing, and even what God's laid on my heart today. So even though we don't have a banner outside and, and there's no teaching series, I've started calling this the unseries. This is the E3 unseries because we haven't talked about this in any sort of strategic sense. And yet what God is laying on our hearts is starting to be like consistently the same types of themes and ideas. And here's what I mean by that. We started off on Easter and Mark just talking about the mind-blowing reality of the resurrection, a dead man coming back to life, uh, a new age, a new era of, of uh, power and life given by God through Jesus. And then the week after that, Dan kind of walked us Ephesians 1.20, which says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. You know, so like, okay. And then just kind of challenging us with this, okay, do you believe, do you really believe that? And if you do, are you experiencing that and kind of just living in that moment? And then last week, 
Mark talked about this idea of having a faith above your circumstances. And what do you do when things don't go to plan? And for me, the connection was obvious that like a resurrection faith, the faith uh, that has the power of the resurrection living inside you will be a faith above your circumstances, will be a faith that allows you to, to navigate life when things don't go to plan. And instantly, um, my mind and my heart went to this concept as I was looking towards today, since I'm the musical worship pastor, of what would worship above our circumstances look like? Because I believe that we're not just called to have, um, I mean, a faith is a big word and it kind of covers a lot, but we are called, I believe, as believers to have a, a, a worshiping heart that rises above our circumstances. So when God throws a curveball at us, we can still say, you are all I need. And we can still say, rich or poor, God, I want you what? More. So that's, why, that's where we're kind of landing today. And um, so I, I know that, that Dan prayed for us earlier. I'd like to pray for us again for this moments together. So if you would join me, I'm just going to pray. God, I believe that you're here. I believe you when you say that when we meet together, you are present with us. So God, as we wait on you, and as we look to you, God, speak. Holy Spirit, speak. Comfort convict, encourage. God, I believe that you've called us to an abundant life and I just pray that we would seek it and that we would not settle for anything less. We pray in your name, uh, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, awesome. Well, we're gonna, we're gonna, deal with a few scriptures today, and we're going to start off in the Old Testament. Exodus 34, if you have a Bible, if you don't, there's some on the tables. If you don't own a Bible and you want one, take one of ours. We'll buy more. It's more important that you have it than we, ha than we have it. Um, and let me just set the stage for you. So Moses, right? Moses has gone to Pharaoh. He's confronted Pharaoh, asking him to release Israel from slavery and goes back and forth with Pharaoh. His heart gets hardened. But finally, Pharaoh agrees, says, go, get out of Egypt. And then there's this great sort of chase through the desert that ends at the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea. And uh, Charlton Heston shows up, parts the Red Sea. Israel goes through. Pharaoh's army starts in. Sea comes back down. Pharaoh's army decimated. Israel saved, right? Well then, moving forward, God guides Israel through the wilderness, uh, literally guiding them through a, a cloud by day and a fire at night, and he takes them to Mount Sinai. And at Mount Sinai, God calls Moses, the leader of Israel, up to the mountain to deliver the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words, the law of, of Israel. And so Moses is going up the mountain and interacting with God like like this, you know, uh, like nobody else has really experienced, especially since. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 34. We're going to start in verse 29. And it goes like this. 
When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over, and he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see the, what's that word? The radiant glow of his face. And he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. So basically what is happening is that as God is inter interacting with Moses, there was something physically changing about Moses' face. If any of you, uh, you know, go to a tanning bed, it was like the best of all possible tans that you could get. Can you imagine? Hey, where'd you get that tan? Yahweh. Sorry, God. Uh, uh, but there was something tangible happening in those interactions as God and Moses talked. And Moses would come out, and for one reason or another, uh, the people of Israel did not like it. I imagine it was a little bit just weird, a little bit crazy, that Moses would come out, and there was something about his face that was shining and radiant. And so uh, for one reason or another, they didn't like it, and Moses decided to put a veil on during this time. So hold that thought. We're going to jump forward a couple thousand years and to the New Testament. God's story is remarkably uh, consistent. You can, you know, as he tells the story from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And years and years later, a guy named Paul, who is trained as a Jewish rabbi, writes to a little church in the town of Corinth. And he's explaining the scripture because that's what rabbis did. They searched the scriptures. They talked with each other about, hey, how has this tradition have been handed down? How do we explain this? So if you would look in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes about what's going on here in Moses' life. He starts out in verse 7. The old way, the old covenant with laws etched in stone, those are the commandments, led to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the what? The glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. He continues in verse 12. Since this new way, this new way of approaching God through Jesus, gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face, so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. Now, some interpreters would translate that, that Moses put the veil over his face, and, they, and there's some interpretations that would say he put it over his face because the glory was fading away. And not to, not to press the point too hard, but the implication would be that Moses was a little bit freaked out that this radiance that he experienced in the presence of God was fading and the implication was that he put the veil over his face, possibly so that Israel would not see 
it fading. Oh, Moses' radiance is, is, is not what it was yesterday. Another pastor uh, and author put it this way, that Moses' mountaintop experience was genuine, glorious, and full of God's presence, but it did not bring lasting transformation. And I might be the only one in this community, but I can identify with that. That I can come into a powerful experience with God in a a, a gathering or um, a festival or a conference, and I feel that radiance. But then I leave and life happens, job happens, health happens, and I feel the radiance of God just fading and wishing desperately for a veil so that my friends and my family wouldn't see that what was there is not there anymore. Anybody else at all feel that way? There's moments as a pastor where you're like, I hope somebody else raises their hand. Or we would just, I would just dismiss you guys and we would be done. So I want to suggest or ask that what if, in a sense, our mountaintop is this, is our Sunday gathering? What if we come in like Moses did, ready, soaking up God's goodness, because he is good, and singing our songs and sharing our lives with people? But then Sunday afternoon happens, Sunday night happens, Monday morning, and our radiance also just dwindles away. What if Sunday has become our our mountain? Now, let me be clear. I'm not advocating that we ditch the mountain or that we make the mountain something different than it already is. Uh, I love coming here. I love singing songs. I love seeing uh, the members of my community and, and, and reconnecting with people. And furthermore, Scripture does not allow us to stop meeting together. We are to be together because something unique happens when the people of God come together. In fact, something happens when we sing together. Music is powerful. And as the pastor of musical worship here, I got to tell you, music is my soul's language. And uh, I will tell you also that I believe that music is a wonderful gift from God, not just to the church, not just to me, but to everybody. I believe that I can find God on the FM radio dial from the very lowest number to the very highest number. Those moments where some truth or some beauty happens and something inside my spirit goes, yes, that is God. Even though the person may not know God, that is God. That is God. Because God is bigger than the church. He's bigger than Way FM. He's bigger than Christian radio. He's bigger than the Christian music business. Amen? Amen. But he's given us music to come in to these gatherings and to be together. And I could talk uh, on and on about the way music unifies us and, and gives voice to those moments in our lives that we, that we desperately need. But thankfully, uh, there are 
filmmakers and cinematographers who also do a great job of naming these moments. So rather than me talking, I just want us to pause and watch a couple minute clip that I feel like captures for me a precious moment of music. So just watch the side screens here. As a musician, uh, I watch that clip, and my heart wells up, and I get goosebumps. And I told uh, the 9:30 gathering, if it doesn't do that to you, well, too bad. Because I have been in a room like that bus, sometimes this room, everybody isolated, downcast. And the right song with the right spirit and people singing and you see the walls come down and you see people's spirits rise up just a little bit. And that is God's gift of music to us. And I am grateful for that gift. I don't even know what was happening before that scene, but all I know is like, I've been there, I see it, I believe it, I have lived that. 
music binds us together, it also does something to us individually as we come together. I don't know if you've ever thought about this or ever read anything about this, but, but music actually releases stuff chemical, chemically inside us, okay? Uh, so I'm going to get a little bit geeky and a little bit scientific on this, and this is no way diminishes the mystery of this, but I want to show you how much God has hardwired us up this way. There is, a, there is something that is released in the brain called oxytocin, when people sing together, put people in a room together, in a bus together, singing a song, something called oxytocin is released. Oxytocin is associated with human beings trusting each other. We sing in a room together. I am wired by God to naturally be inclined to say, I trust, I trust you more. I, I feel better about being here together because something has been triggered inside my brain. There's another study that showed that um, techno music, I'm not a healthcare professional, so forgive me if I mispronounce any of these. People experiencing techno music experienced heightened levels of plasma norepinephrine, growth hormone, adrenocorticotropic hormone, all going on, all associated with increases in your immune system. Again, Hardwired, music, music affects us. Now, the same study found that people who listen to rock and roll experience decreased levels of prolactin, which is a, an enzyme or a chemical generally associated with feeling good. So bad news for the rock and rollers, but the scientists did say that it could be just because the techno people did not like the rock and rollers. So, but the point is, and I'm trying to get, is that before, in a sense, before we get really Christian-y or, or really explicit, hey, this is, this is church music, this is Sunday morning, I believe God did that. God gives us this thing together that we experience and that we have the opportunity to, uh, everything from having increased immune levels to trusting each other more, but there's more than that because music also helps us remember the Jews, as writing was being developed, do you know how they memorized their scriptures? They sang them. They sang. And that's how they knew the story. And that's how they transmitted the story, by singing it. Studies show that if you're trying to memorize a, a text, a, a block of prose, and if you just try to memorize it rote, it's infinitely easier if you set it to rhythm Melody and phrasing. The music, as we sing these songs together, they're designed to help us remember who God is, what he's done, what he promises he will do. And I just got to tell you, this has happened to me. When I was a fifth grade student at Lorenzo de Zavala Elementary School in Grand Prairie, Texas, I was asked by my teacher to recite the preamble of the Constitution of the United States. Now, getting a fifth grade boy to recite anything that didn't have to do with baseball cards, football, or army men, at least in my case, was really difficult, much less abstract governmental concepts from the preamble of the Constitution. But, 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 there were a group of creative peoples, angels, I believe, sent by God, who banded together and, and in, with the idea of saving little fifth grade boys all over the planet, 
they went together and they created these little two-minute bursts of beauty and creativity that would air on Saturday mornings that would allow fifth grade boys to learn about nouns and they would allow little fifth graders to learn where to get your adverbs and we learned about the conjunction junction and those were called what schoolhouse rock amen for schoolhouse rock so as the moment of truth arrived for little eric the fifth grader to recite the preamble of the constitution i didn't so much recite it as I kind of wrapped it. <laughs> because this is the way that I learned it. And you're free to sing if you want. We the people in order to form a more perfect union. Establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Yeah. Provide for the common defense. Promote the general welfare and ensure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do our day and establish this constitution. United States of America. Amen. And just so you know, just so you know, for like the next 20 years of my life, for some reason I feel like I may have been asked to recite the preamble more than anybody else in the planet, but every time I had to do it, that's the way I did it, with the same, you know, uh, we the people, in order to form a more perfect union. Established the same cadence that I learned. So music has this function of just knitting things and cementing things inside us. So, great. So if we sing together, we do all this stuff, and music does all these great things, then we should just sing together on Sunday, and we'll be done with it, because it obviously works. Right? No. No. Um, I think in our heart of hearts, somehow we know that music just isn't enough that we sing and we pour out our hearts, but then we walk out and no matter how fervently we sang, that somehow we don't experience the resurrection life, the resurrection worship that God wants for us and that we want for ourselves. I want to suggest that maybe our faith was never designed to hinge on a mountaintop. Not that the mountaintop shouldn't be there, not that it's not important, but maybe our faith should never revolve solely around the mountaintop. But what I mean by that is like, if you read your Bible in the Gospels, the writers tell stories of Jesus' life. And they reference him going to the synagogue, but they never really talk about how Jesus worshipped and the songs he sang. The stories that the gospel writers chose to tell us, or that I would say what God wanted us to know about Jesus' life is, hey, Jesus had a meal with some friends. Jesus was walking down the road and he healed somebody. 
Jesus uh, ran into somebody randomly and gave them an encouraging word or, or challenged them in some way. These little bitty day-to-day interactions where Jesus modeled the life that we're supposed to have. Paul wrote a huge portion of the New, of the New Testament and yet never really describes a worship experience. Never really describes a mountaintop. Did they worship? Absolutely. But what was important was, was Paul saying, this is how you live this life. This is how you embody Ephesians 1.20, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. No real description of a mountaintop. In fact, where Paul does talk about worship is really mind-blowing. So check this out. Book of Romans, chapter 12. He's writing to a church again. This is just mind-blowing when you really think about it. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy, what's it say? Sacrifice. The kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? Think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, what Paul says there is don't bring a sacrifice. What's he say? Be a sacrifice. Don't do worship. Don't do praise and worship. We're supposed to somehow become praise and worship. That blow anybody's mind besides mine? I'm not supposed to bring my best offering. I'm supposed to be my best offering. And how does Paul say to do it? To let God transform us, right? By renewing, other interpretations say, renewing our mind. You see, the hard part of this, guys, is that no matter how much we want resurrection life, faith above our circumstances, wanting it is not just going to make it happen. At least it hasn't in my life. I have cried out to God so many times for, for, for something to change, for something to be removed. Sometimes it happens. God is an awesome God, and he does things in a variety of different ways, but most of my life has been learning how to cultivate Daily, moment-to-moment communion with God through the Holy Spirit. And we come in here and we gather, but it's really this day-to-day-to-day thing. Worship above our circumstances. Resurrection worship. Worship above the loss of your job. Worship above your addiction, worship above your job frustrations, worship above your broken family life. Become worship. Become worship. I don't know if, uh, if you've ever thought about that, 
by renewing the way you think. I think most of us go like, well, I want this really bad, and I'll try really hard. But then we find ourselves in situations that we shouldn't be. And I got to tell you, most of the time in my life, my hands have ended up, my feet have ended up, my body has ended up in places that my mind has gone long before I ended up there. And the more that I use my mind to point myself back to God, the more I'm able to find myself in safe places and in good places with my hands and feet and not places I don't want to be at 3 a.m. or in front of a computer screen or in an argument somewhere. Use your mind. I'm going to end with this quote out of, uh, again from Paul out of the book Colossians. This great picture because I believe that some of us here just need to have the picture painted for us of like, you can live this life above where you are. It, it is possible. So Paul says this, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. What's the text say? Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Have you ever, is the glory of, of Christ, uh, if there is glory to be shared, that has to be some amazing glory. And our lives, we are made, we are designed to share in that. But there's that word again. You can go back to the previous slide. There. Honor at God's right hand. And then what's it say? Think. 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 Aretha Franklin said, think. Think, think about what you're trying to do to me. Think. God has given us this thing, not just of music, but this thing in our heads called our mind, and we can renew it and transform it to help ourselves live this life above it, above our circumstances. So uh, I'm going to invite the band up now. And as they're coming up, Virtually every week we do this thing called a going deeper. If you've been around E3 a lot, you've probably seen them. We don't call a whole lot of attention to them because we believe that you guys are capable of flip, flipping it over, over. Hey, there's something there. These are always designed to take this Sunday thing that we do beyond where we are. Well, what I've written down here is just a few basic like baby steps to start to renew your mind. Soak it with Scripture. Soak it with prayer. Stretch it. So that we can begin to walk a walk of, of a resurrection life day to day, being transformed by the Spirit through the renewing of our mind. That's worship above your circumstances. Thank you.